Welcome to Splainin', the podcast where two guys explain things to each other that they should know, but they don't. I'm Evan Smith. And I'm Jeff Sims. And welcome, Jeff, to this episode 19, Woo! Legal Drinking Age in the Country of Canada. Canada. Yeah, we just spent that time looking, trying to figure out what that sound was. A mini stroke? Yes. If you saw our Facebook story from three nights ago, you would have seen that. Yeah, my timeline just got screwed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we just spent the last five minutes trying to find out what that actually was. Yeah, and it's called the trap horn. Yes. And tonight's guest is the tr- first trap horn player from the New York Phil. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> trap horn John. John, come on. <laughs> Welcome. We hear you've been out of work for a while, John. Oh, Had a really big boom in the early 2000s and then it completely died yeah. off. Very trendy. Shame. Just take off your hat for a second. Did you cut your hair today? I cut it two days ago. Okay. Didn't yeah. notice. Had a Britney Spears moment. <laughs> You did. I bet you did. <laughs> Just looked in the mirror and be like, why am I the way I am? <laughs> Shave my head and then... That was the sound that the razor made? No, that's the sound that I made. Because oh. I did a mic drop with the razor. Oh. <laughs> cut, cut your foot, went to the Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you keep interchanging Janeway with the hospital. It's the, that's the joke. Oh, I thought you were just... No, 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 no. It's just like no matter how old the person is, you always say Janeway, and that's the joke. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, is it? Now I'm questioning everything I've ever thought. God almighty. Talking about questioning everything you've ever questioned in your life. Yes. Let's open this can. Um, no, joking. Which can? Uh, the can of questioning everything you've ever thought. Okay. No, I, that was a terrible segue. But um, I was thinking the other day. <laughs> I don't know where you're going, so like it's okay. maybe it's a good segue. So it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up something that's like semi morbid, okay. But like at the same time, like I keep it keeps happening in my head. Okay, so I'm just gonna talk about it because why not? Okay, yeah. Um, the producers told me not to bring it up, but they're behind the glass window now and they can't stop it. The record do. button's already started. Once we're rolling, the execs in the suits are going, no, "Cut the mic! Yeah. Cut the mic!" <laughs> no, you're gonna get annoying. Gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back to what I was saying. Um, there are times I have like daydreams about daydreams about night things in the middle of the afternoon. What? That's a country song. Isn't that a great lyric? One more time. I'm having daydreams about night things in the middle of the afternoon. Mm. That's a country lyric. That doesn't surprise me, right? As the next line, something about drinking whiskey in the back of a truck, thinking about the girl that you once knew. I'm not sure. I don't know the rest of the song. I just know that line. Well, I just told you what it was. <laughs> Anyways, um, I have like daydreams of like trying to like cross a crosswalk and a car hitting me or okay. like going down a flight of stairs and like falling and like hitting my head. And I something. wouldn't call that a daydream. I don't think daydream to me implies like you're you're like a positive like a no daydream is when you are de- dreaming or you're thinking about something. When you are actively awake, like you're not asleep. So like you yeah, are, your yeah, body right. is on yeah. autopilot, but your brain is like thinking or dreaming about different things. Right. Yeah. Cause like, you know, a daydream is or like a dream is a dream. Well, I don't know. Cause when a dream is bad, it's a nightmare. Not always. What do you mean? Not always. Like you could have a bad dream. Doesn't always mean but, it's a nightmare or a night terror. Okay. So what's the difference between a nightmare and a bad dream? Whether or not you're upset over it. 
I don't know. Why wouldn't you be upset over a bad dream? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it could just be the medium dream. <laughs> <laughs> then you wouldn't call it a bad one. Okay, well, leave I me alone. Think, I think a bad... Listeners, let us know what you think. Yes, please. Bad dream, nightmare, same thing. Yeah. I Anyways, think. Anyway, daydreams, not, not necessarily positive. Go on. Crosswalk, you got hit by a car. Go on. Yeah, and then Fall I'm... downstairs. I'm in like a coma for like, I don't know, six to ten weeks. Okay. Like long enough where it's like they have to feed me through a tube. So I just like lose all of the unnecessary weight. Okay. And like I just don't have to worry about anything for a while, but not long enough where it's like... When you've you say don't have to coma, worry about anything because you're in a coma, you mean? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. And you wake up, and it's kind of like a, not a fresh start, but like your your <laughs> muscles have atrophied, so it's like, you know, like, you know that, like, bad shoulder you got? Like, that's not a problem anymore. No, or but you like, can't walk because you've been in bed for seven weeks. Well, yeah, but that's what I mean. So you kind of, like, relearn everything, you realign your body, your muscles have atrophied. Who are you kidding? You're going back to the same potato you are now. Buddy! <laughs> Yes, in terms of like you're not way gonna... to ruin my daydream. That's what I'm saying. You your daydream was getting hit by a car. That's what I'm saying. And, and it's not like consciously I'm here going. I really want this to happen because I don't. I think there's nothing positive about it. It's not a good experience. I do not wish it upon anybody. I do not wish it upon myself. I do not like anybody who's experienced for the silver it. lining if it happened. No, no. It's just in my mind. I'm going. What if I cross the street right now and a car hit me and then I was just in a bed and then I like that's right. like it's just See, kind of like yes, a I know what you mean. Like I, I always have those like, what if I blank right now? Like yes. what if I uh-huh. drove this car into that lake or yep. whatever? Like I wouldn't consider that a daydream though. It's definitely a daydream. It's just a thought. No, but you're if you like live in it for a little while. Do you know what I mean? Then it's a succession of thoughts. <laughs> I don't think it's a daydream. I feel like a daydream is when you're like you lost. Splitting like you're splitting hairs you're right lo- now. No, no. A daydream is like you're in class and you're like, they're like, Evan? Bueller. And you're like, yeah. And like you don't answer and they're like, uh, Evan? And yeah. Like, and you still So maybe that's what, I, that's what I did. If oh, I'm just well, okay. lost in thought. Sure. If, okay, if my yeah. body's on autopilot or right. something, right? Okay. Like I was golfing today and the entire time I was like, what if there was like a bear? And I just got attacked by a bear in the middle of like Pippi Park, and there was nobody playing behind me. So like, how long until someone found me? I think that when I'm at Three Pond a lot, I think like not so much a bear usually, but like coyote or whatever. Buddy, if a coyote attacked you, you would have no problem fighting off a singular coyote. Are we certain? Yes. Uh, Should we put it to the test for viral yes. purposes? Yes. <laughs> viral in both senses of the word. <laughs> Johnson, yeah, bring in that box. Yeah. Evan, just get yeah, get ready, yeah. buddy. Cool. Um, shirt off. Oh, okay. Shirt off. <laughs> We're going shirts and skins with the coyote. And the volleyball too. Bring the volleyball. <laughs> That's I would imagine if me and a fox were playing a sport, it would be volleyball. I don't know why. I don't know. I figured water polo. I don't know what water polo is. It's water volleyball. Oh. Yeah. I think I made that up. It's not water volleyball? I don't know, but I, I there's water a Water volleyball I made that is up. a good tongue twister. Water volleyball. Water, water volleyball. volleyball, water volleyball. Water volleyball, volley. <laughs> I should do a, I should think of a vocal exercise with it. That's hard. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's my thought for today. There's nothing really else I have to say, <laughs> no. to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do. I sort of get what you're saying, though, in terms of like you would have a fresh start, specifically when it comes to like pain. <laughs> like, for, like from my perspective, like my back always hurts, my neck always hurts. We golfed yesterday. Yeah. My shoulder and my neck have been brutal all day long. Yes. Like, so to be like, I could get a fresh start from this. Yeah, but like, like also think of like 
this is going to be a, a weird like right hand turn, but think of like vocal tension. And like all of the musculature and all the tension, like if you're just sitting in a bed doing nothing for six to eight weeks, like all of that goes away, all that atrophies, and you get the opportunity to relearn all those, not like relearn from scratch, like learning how to talk, but I, but like you wake up with all of that being super weak and you can kind of retrain yourself and out of those bad habits. That, like I said, right hand But I don't, I don't think you would though. Oh, I definitely like, would I, I think you start singing the same way you sang before. Yeah. Not you specifically, but no, anyone. but but also yeah. me specifically. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's like a weird daydream of like these things, but it's I don't know. Like I said, it's pretty morbid. I don't know why that's where my brain goes. Whenever my brain goes off on those tangents, it's always morbid. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's always like, what if this? And then I just like go down the rabbit hole. That's all yeah. you can do. Well, actually, it's the coyote hole. <laughs> <laughs> you go up the coyote hole. <laughs> that's how you fight it off. <laughs> That's what they teach you in survival class. <laughs> okay. Um, should we... Uh, I don't want to say dive in. Now I feel like any anything I say sounds like a euphemism after that. Nope. That's the noise it made. That's the noise you made. Um, Anyways. Shall I explain something to you? Yeah, please do. Okay. Um, the Mariana Trench. <laughs> yeah, I, should I hear how that sounded? Here's the weird thing with that. Sometimes it's Mariana, sometimes it's Marianas, like with an S on the end. Like plural, like it's Mariana's Trench, or is it Mariana Trench? Both. Mm. Okay. It's the deepest oceanic trench on Earth. Did you know what it was when I told you that I was going to do it? Yep. Well, no. No, no, no. Like I knew, well, yes, I knew it's like it was the deepest part of the ocean, oh, but okay. that's that's literally all I knew. Great. Yeah. Um, it's named after the nearby Mariana Islands, Las Marianas, Las Marianas, in honor of Spanish Queen Mariana of Austria, widow of Philip IV of Spain. So I guess it's Mariana or Mariana, Marianas because it's her uh, trench. Yeah, but like her name's Mariana. But I guess like when you translate, maybe it goes Marianas. I don't know. The Marianas. I'm not sure. Doesn't matter. Um, sidebar. When I read Philip the Fourth of Spain, I was like, I don't know who that is. No. Just a random Spanish king. Uh-huh. And instantly I wanted to know everything about him. And so, I find that every time I read about a, like some foreign weird monarch from some century, I'm like, I want to know more about you. But I feel like their stories are all almost, I'll reserve that, almost always very similar. Yeah, but they're similar in that they're always shady. There's always shit that goes down. Yeah, there's always some shade. Right? So like, yeah. you know, just like I would love to do like an episode of like monarchs you've never heard of but like just like where shit go like you know like and none of them are long it's always like yeah whatever he was king of spain and blah blah, blah. i would love but to like, do i want to know of- like this sh- like i want to know like tell me the one shady thing that all of these monarchs did yeah or or like i'd love to go through all of the king louis like how many of those are there of france but I want to know everything about all of the monarchs of every country. Okay. Because like, I just feel like it would be like... Well, it's a good like, thing we still have 50 seasons left because there's yes, lots of those. 50 seasons with... Um, but yeah, like there's a there's a show called The Last Tsar or something on Netflix so I really want to watch. Tsar. Because I think that like, the whole Russian dynasty must be oh, insane. There's, oh, yeah. I would love to know about that. Anyway, I would. that's something we can do in the future. Okay. So the Mariana Trench is part of the Izubonin Mariana subduction system that forms the boundary between two tectonic plates. 
the western edge of the Pacific Plate is subducted or thrust underneath the smaller Mariana Plate. Um, keep going. Essentially, they are reverse mountains. Like a trench is the reverse of a mountain. So when a plate goes underneath a plate, it makes a trench. A plate goes over a plate, makes a mountain. Right? Yep. Um, crustal material, which may be my new favorite word. Crustal. Crustal. What a great word. Uh, it's like the masculine equivalent of crystal. Like if you had a son, you could name him Crustal. <laughs> <laughs> crustal seems. Chuck Atherin. Chuck Atherin now. Call her. Well scrubbed, says Crust. <laughs> crust for short. Crust for short. Or Crust. Like Russ. Like, What's well up, Crust? Scrubbed. Yeah. Yeah. I it love just, it. I done. Um, so now we're choosing between Frodo and Crust. Yes. Is Samwise off the table? Samwise is always on the table. Uh, okay. Crustal material at the western edge of the Pacific Plate is some of the oldest oceanic crust on Earth. Up to 170 million years old. What? That's old. It's very old. And is therefore much cooler and denser compared to the higher and younger Mariana Plate. Mm. Which is like, <laughs> no, it's like, it makes the plate... It's like, like, why am I attracted to the tectonic yeah. plate? Like, ooh, ooh higher and so younger. So cool and hip. You're the seniors. I'm the varsity. <laughs> You're yeah. 173 million years old. I'm only 120. It did feel well as I was like, what? Why am I pulled towards one plate over the other? Um, the Mariana Islands themselves are caused from flux melting of the upper mantle from the movements of these plates. Shit comes out, shit melts. That's all there is to it. So for context, if you're looking at a globe and you're at the Mariana Trench, Japan is like 1130, China's 10 o'clock, Philippines 9 o'clock, Indian, uh, Indonesia's sitting about 730, Australia is about supper time and Papua New Guinea is like happy hour. Yeah. While across the bay at three o'clock just chilling is Hawaii. Uh huh. So that's sort of where it is globally. You can picture that. Sure. The trench is crescent shaped and measures about 2,550 kilometers in length and 69 kilometers in width. The maximum known depth is 10,984 meters. Did you say known? Yes. As in they have not found the bottom? No, they have found the bottom, but like maybe there's a spot that's deeper that they haven't found. Oh, oh, like four feet over to the right, it's like a quarter of an inch deep. Exactly. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But the maximum known depth is 10,984 meters at the southern end. This small slot shaped... Small slot... Sh- oh, this small slot shaped valley... <laughs> yeah, English. move the comma over, yeah. <laughs> ...is known as the Challenger Deep. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. It's so deep there that if you were to put Mount Everest inside the trench, it would still be covered by two kilometers of water. Wow. Right? Two kilometers wow. of water. Um, so the depths of the Mariana Trench were first sounded in 1875, which is early, by the Challenger Expedition. The expedition was named after the boat, the HMS Challenger. The Royal Navy ship set sail in 1872 on a Challenger Expedition for the purposes of surveying <laughs> and exploring. What? All those words are challenger, exploration, exploring. Would you like me to reread the sentence? What do you mean? No, I just mean like all of those words are like, we're going on an adventure. What shall we call the boat? (laughs) The adventurer. (laughs) This might be a challenge. (laughs) Well, we better rename it the challenger. (laughs) (laughs) Let's survey and explore. Um, Which is what they did. 
This voyage was described as the greatest advancement in knowledge of our planet since the discoveries of the 15th and 16th centuries. My God. Yes. Over the next three years, they discovered 4,000 new species. The full report was 50 volumes and 29,500 pages in length. 4,000 new species. Yep. It was 1875. They didn't know a fox was around. <laughs> They're like, what's that? <laughs> and why what's it doing <laughs> down in the water? <laughs> a new species of fox that can swim 4,000 meters below the surface of the ocean. <laughs> oh, water fox. What does water the fox, fox Don't even know her. Um, one of the main scientific tasks they had were to sound certain areas of the ocean. Depth sounding, often referred to simply as sounding, as I just did, refers to the act of measuring depth. The depth of the ocean in certain places are often shown on nautical charts. And this is how most they made most maps. You're like, you'll see like the, like sometimes you'll actually see bumps and shit on, a, on like a globe or whatever. Or like those, you'll see those lines when you're looking at oceans on maps, and they'll show the physical depth of the water in that ocean at that spot. They were doing that even back in 1875. The how were they doing it? Were they just dragging their anchor and seeing what the toe? No, was? the anchor couldn't come close. In 1875, they used a weight rope, just a rope that was weighed down, like an insanely long, which recorded a depth of 4,475 fathoms. Or, I can't even fathom how large Right, it is. or 8,184 meters. They had a rope that was 8,184 meters weighted down. And also, can I please say that fathom is the coolest measurement term, and we need to use it in more contexts. So can we figure out, because first off, we talk about like, you know, inches, feet, meters, stuff yes. like that. In golf, we use yards. Yep. Can and we, feet. Once you get so close, you start once you get so feet, far, yeah. yeah, according to Mario Golf. Um, According to real golf, too. Sure. Uh, can we try to um, use fathoms? So I think fathoms are specific to depth or maybe specific to ocean, but like 4,475 versus eight. So it's almost double. So meters are almost like one meter is almost two fathoms. Yeah. So right. how many meters are in a yard? A yard. Hey, Siri. No, a yard and a meter are almost the same, aren't they? There's. Pause. 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 Your just hang your hang hang up your jackets. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you can leave your hat on. <laughs> How many fathoms are in a yard? One yard is point five fathoms. Oh, so a fathom is a half of a yard. Yeah. No, half a fathom is a yard. Nope. Yep. You said one yard is half a fathom. No, you said one yard. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, reversed yeah. it. So now anytime we're playing and there's like, it's a 300-yard par four, it's a 600-fathom par four. I'm no. playing in fathoms. No. Yes! No, the one reverse yard, of that. No, one yard is a half of a fathom. Right, so which means 600 it's 300 fathoms. yards, it's 600 fathoms. Why am I not understanding this? <laughs> I don't know. No. If one yard is 0.5 fathoms, then 300 yards oh, it's is 150. 150 fathoms. Yeah, it's 150 fathoms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you just pass it off like I was the idiot? I'm like, no, it's the reverse of that. Uh, anyway, let's start using fathoms once we understand it. The deepest region of the trench, known as the Challenger Deep, was named after the HMS Challenger and that initial sounding of the trench. So once they sounded, they're like, let's name it after the Challenger because it was a challenge to put that rope down there and all about it. There you go. <laughs> Um, That'd be exhausting, tugging that rope up. I imagine that's all they had to do. Like, 
I mean, they had probably had a little pulley system, but still, someone had to crank it. Uh, there have been four manned descents into the Mariana Trench and three unmanned descents. Um, the first descent was in 1960 when the Swiss-designed, Italian-built, United States Navy-owned Bathyscaphe Triste. They clearly had to be very specific about everyone who was involved. Yep. The Germans were like, well, we made the screws. No one said anything about us. Um, well, screw off Germany. We got enough names on this thing. Ah. Get it? Screw off. Cause yeah, that's something. good. Thanks. That's good. So a Bathyscaphe is a free-diving, self-propelled, deep-sea submersible. Mm-hmm. And it, a Pokemon. <laughs> it translates from the Greek bathos, meaning deep, and skathos, meaning vessel or ship. It's suspended below a float that's filled with gasoline. They use gasoline because it's buoyant and incompressible. So uh, the tanks can be very lightly constructed since the pressure inside and outside the tanks equalizes. By contrast, the cabin that the crew is in must withstand a huge pressure differential, like the pressure inside must be insanely different from the pressure outside, and is therefore massively built. So down go Don Walsh and Jacques Picard of like Buren and St. Pierre, respectively. Don Walsh (laughs) and Jacques Picard. Like literally both of them are from the Buren Peninsula and one's from St. Pierre. (laughs) (laughs) Don Walsh. Don Walsh. Don Walsh. And Jacques, and Jack Pickard. Jack Pickard. Uh, Jacques Lepitier. <laughs> Jack Lepitus. <laughs> a wandering minster, I a fig of. Next. The little wooden boy. They reach the bottom at 1.06 p.m. I don't know why I included that sentence. Waste of time. The onboard system. What time do they start? It doesn't say. Great. <laughs> Which is a waste of time. The onboard systems indicated a depth of 11,521 meters or. 37,800, no wait, 37,800 feet. Wait, pause. Earlier you said the deepest part was 10,954 meters. Nope, I said 10,009 something. Okay, so sure. But, so yes. but now we're, they're recording 11,000. Correct, it was later revised mm. to 10,916. Mm. Okay, still mm. not the number I said before. Yeah, the Walshes are known for that. Yeah. Um, now I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they trade you in advance, but I think I would have had a panic attack. Oh yeah, going down ten thousand, knowing the pressure outside is enough to crush you. Having said that, not that different from going out in a plane. Like you're in a tube mm-hmm. and you can't get out. Like well, I'm you, you, yeah, you got thirty thousand feet in the air. Yeah, so they're thirty thousand feet down in the ocean. Yeah, what's the difference, really? Uh, if something happens to the plane or something happens to the thing, you're dead either way. True. You can't jump out of either of them. True. So you're in there until you submerge or descend. Yeah, I feel like the... Yeah, let's not talk about it. I'm getting anxious. <laughs> I actually thought maybe I won't bring it up because I thought maybe you'd get anxious. Anyway, um, so the depth was estimated from a conversion of pressure measured and calculations based on water density from the surface to the bottom. Uh, in 1996 and 2009, two unmanned ROVs, remotely operated underwater vehicles, named Keiko and Nurus, made their expeditions and measured similar depths, 10,902 meters and 10,916 meters. The fourth voyage and third person to reach the bottom of the Marianas Trench was famous Canadian film director James Cameron. Go away! I shit you not. And actually, I was going to say, if you're wondering what an ROV looks like, it's that yellow thing. If you're if you're watching the Titanic, the present day scenes yeah. that they go down to the Titanic with, that's an ROV. Mm-hmm. They went down in that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so they had one built for him. 
that had he wanted to like see everything and he took fit footage. It had like a I think it was like a I can't remember exactly I didn't write it down. It was like a nine inch glass window that was like just like I don't know maybe a foot around that he could look through. Um, he piloted the craft by himself um, to accomplish the goal of the second manned dive to reach the Challenger Deep since 1960. The vessel was actually called the Deep Sea Challenger. There we go. He reached the ocean's deepest point about two hours and 36 minutes. Uh, oh, almost twice as fast as the tree 62 years earlier. So they took about five hours to go down. Um, Cameron recorded a depth of 10,908 meters, only slightly less than the Triest, but arguable his equipment was 60 years newer. So like more accurate, more accurate. Yeah. More accurate. Accurate. Uh, it was the first ever solo dive and the first to spend a significant amount of time at the bottom. He stayed down there for three hours. A Rolex watch was attached to the sub's robotic arm during this dive it continued to function normally the entire time. It was just an advertisement for Rolex. What a marketing advertisement, though. Uh huh. Like, literally, like the only watch that can withstand like more pressure than you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, while you're, wa- while you're, you brain- will implode, yeah, your watch exactly. will stay. Yeah. While your brain is being forced from your eye sockets, you'll know what time it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in 2015, members of the National Oceanic and Atmosphere Administration, Oregon State University, and the Coast Guard submerged a hydrophone, which is like a microphone used for underwater recording. They never deployed one past a mile deep before. So this one had a titanium shell and was designed to withstand the pressure of seven miles below sea level. What? I'm just thinking of like an underwater shell phone. <laughs> shell phone. Shell phone. Uh, Hello. <laughs> fish. It comes out of the fish. It's like, I've been waiting for this call. Um, it took them months to retrieve the hydrophone again. I don't know why. They just like didn't have it on a rope or something. No, they like, forgot the string. That in 1875, from- they were just sending a rope down. They put a microphone there like, oh, forgot to tie it on. <laughs> anyway. They, so it's a cell phone. Or like attach XLRs to each other because they just like constantly, I don't know. It'd be too easy. Um, did they learn nothing from the eyes? I don't know. But uh, they just eventually got it back, and the experts were surprised to find that it picked up natural sounds, hmm. like earthquakes, a typhoon, and baleen whales, along with man-made sounds such as boats. 11,000 meters deep, it picked up the sound of the boats above it. Wow. Yep. Uh, Victor Vescovo achieved a new record descent in 2019 of 10,928 meters using the DSV limiting factor designed by uh, Florida-based Triton submarines. Before, it was like Switzerland and Germany and the yeah. States are all the announcements like Florida did it by themselves. Florida. <laughs> the one thing they did. They got bored of drinking Mountain Dew and lighting things on fire. <laughs> but let's make a subversal that can go down to the deepest depth. To the deepest part of the water. <laughs> Where's Don Walsh getting down here? <laughs> Honestly. He's John Walsh does six months on, six months off down in Florida. He's, <laughs> He's already down Marine there. Atlantic. Um, so he dived four times between April 28th and May 5th. That's a lot. Becoming the first person to dive into the Challenger Deep more than once. I watched <laughs> this video after he came up. He was just so endearing, man. Like he was hugging everybody on board the ship where he like launched from. Mm-hmm. The captain came over and gave him a hug and he said, like, thanks for your guidance. And this 70-year-old captain, near like twice his age, his skipper was like you're my hero. And then Victor was like, no, you're my hero. Like that was the, during the footage, I was like, man, this is magical. <laughs> oh, like, and it was just one of those, like someone had a camera. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, you no, know, someone planned. had a cell phone out. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Someone took the shell phone. Yeah. It was great. Um, yeah. 
In an interview, he talks about what a great voyage it was. He was at the bottom for four hours and lost virtually all his electric power. And he's like, yeah, I had to start moving around batteries and circuits to secure enough power to get back up. It was a wonderful voyage. At one point, he stopped searching for stuff, put his feet up and ate a tuna fish sandwich while just looking out at the lowest place on earth anyone has ever been. Like, how high are you, Victor? <laughs> Came up, I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're, no, you're my you're hero. My hero. <laughs> As my good friend Bette Midler says, did you ever know? <laughs> you're my hero, man. As Enrique Iglesias said, <laughs> I can be your hero, baby. <laughs> Finally, in 2020, a joint project between Russia shipbuilders, uh, scientific teams, and the Foundation for Advanced Research Projects created an autonomous underwater vehicle, Vityaz D., and sent it to the bottom of the trench. It was the first autonomous vehicle to operate at the extreme depths. It drove around down there for three hours without being controlled by any humans. Cool. So what's it like down there, you ask, Jeff? I did. Well, it's between minus one and four degrees. Okay. So similar to today. Yeah. Not as cold as I expected it to be. But I guess you're so close to the crust, like that'll keep you a little warm, maybe? Like. Yeah, you're, you're also like insulated. Is that how that works? No. No, I mean, not when you're in the thing. The no, 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 I, I understand. I understand. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I would think it was colder. I, but obviously, it can't be much colder because well, water the surface freezes. of the water is always colder than the deeper parts of the water. Is it? Yeah, because that's like the heat will rise up and come out and evaporate through the top of the water. Once you get really deep, you mean? Like if you're at the beach, the shallow water is what's oh, warm yeah, because no. the sun heats it up. Hmm. Like you can put your feet in and be like, oh, it's actually really warm here. Because the sun can heat an inch of water, but it can't eat heat the five feet over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My thought was flawed. But I am thinking maybe, as in this case, you get closer to the Earth's crust, it gets warmer again. So maybe like 5,000 feet is real cold. Yeah. Closer and then, the then it starts warmer. Yeah, maybe. It's, I don't know. Yeah, that, maybe you're I didn't right. look that up. No, no, no. That's good. That's good. Yeah. But anyway, minus one to four degrees. I got to stop drinking, I think. <laughs> like permanently? <laughs> <laughs> If I walk I down to a this crosswalk, and actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me 52 episodes, but I finally got you here, buddy. This is an intervention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have 52 episodes of evidence of your inebriation. Yeah. Uh, man, listen to the first five episodes of me. I'm literally, that's when I stopped drinking wine during the podcast because I started to slur. Yeah. There was one, ep- there's, there was one episode specifically I remember being like, Buddy. The, the end of episode five, I'm pretty sure. It's the I don't last know if, episode we did in per, not in person. No, 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 no. There was an ep- It was here in the pod loft. Mm. Yeah. I don't remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <they even laughs> For good reason. Yeah. Um, anyway, so still cold enough to kill you, obviously. Um, but not as cold as I thought. Then the pressure, eight tons per square inch. About a thousand times the standard atmospheric pressure at sea level. Also, it's pitch black. There is no light. No. Um, one scientist stated it would be like being crushed to death inside of a freezer. So, wow! Did you hear? Really rang. That was very uh, pingy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did they describe like physiologically what would happen? Like you step out of the compression tank or or the submarine or whatever you're in. I guess you're. And cr- do you immediately just crush into a ball? I wouldn't think you would crush into a ball. I would just think every part of you would get crushed. And like you would just go to the bottom and then you just get crushed to the crust of the earth. I guess so. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. It's similar to like like space, like when you like like you freeze instantly or whatever. Yeah, well, like people used to say that you would go out into space and your eyes, the pressure would be so crazy, your eyes right. would pop out of your skull and you'd right. die. No, you would just freeze. Yeah, right. That's what would happen. Um, but, but I think in that case, because the the cold would get to you first. In this case, I think the pressure would hit you first. Like you wouldn't freeze at minus no, one. No, no, you no, wouldn't no. freeze. No, jeez, no, no, no. So you, I think your eyes maybe saying, would pop out. In in what space or no, down? No, in this situation, in, I don't think they would pop out. They would just get crushed. In you would just get crushed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nothing would pop out. No, there'd be would, no popping out unless it was a consequence of the squishing. <laughs> A consequence of the squishing. There's their title right now. <laughs> Call it. Um, but yet, at almost 11,000 meters below sea level, there is life everywhere. Mm-hmm. No sunlight means no algae or plants to support the food chain. So deep sea creatures down there survive on the decaying scraps of dead organisms from the upper layers of the ocean, which sink to the bottom. Ew. Uh, Ew to us. Great for them. Occasionally, a dead whale makes its way down there, and it's a feast for the creatures who live there. They are literal creatures. Scavengers. Creatures of the night. Yeah. Some creatures living down there include a hagfish burrowing yep. burrowing its way into carcasses and eating from the inside out. Yep. Bone worms actually eating the bones themselves. Uh, there's some unidentified types of snailfish. There's a Dumbo octopus, which you have to see. Everyone, go Google it now. Jeff, for your purposes. Oh, you got one. Excellent. That thing. Uh, I mean, it does look like an elephant, and a and it a, does look like Dumbo. A, yeah, um, comb jellies. Go Google the Google. Go Google those. These guys, though, they look beautiful. They do. So these guys are super messed up. So they're. This is their description. Visually captivating, comb jellies are gelatinous creatures with which I hate. I hate the word gelatinous. With luminous body structures, as they diffract any light that falls upon them, they use their comb-like plates to move around in the water. While they please the eyesight, these underwater marvels are voracious predators, even attacking their own kind. Sometimes, some may be as tiny as a few millimeters, ranging nearly as five feet long. That little thing. They literally look like. You'd be like, my God, didn't I string them up for the wedding? Like you, like if you had an outdoor wedding, you just like hang them at the tent. They're beautiful. <laughs> they're like literally like piranhas. They're, they're not even. I don't even even know what they are. No. And then there's the frill shark that looks like a sock puppet at first, and then you realize it's a real creature, and it's what nightmares are made of. Yes. You have daydreams about this thing. Oh yeah, that thing is horrifying. Look up a frill shark, everybody. Frill. But like, it kind of looks like a sock bucket. Sock sock bucket. What sock puppet? Thank you. Doesn't it? Like well, like like your hand would go into that yeah. hole there. <laughs> yeah, that's the buddy's arm right there. <laughs> anyway, it's an actual coyote. They have 300, 300 teeth. Um, of course, there's uh, those like weird fish that can blow their stomach, like uh, glow their stomach, like those weird like angler kind of fish. Like they're not actually an angler fish, but like a. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those type of fish, they have a million teeth. Like water fish have teeth. They don't yeah, need yeah. teeth. Uh, thousands of small amoebas and a variety of organisms. Some of these fall into the category of deep sea gigantism, which is the process where species grow larger than their shallow water relatives. You mean Godzilla? Yeah. Or the Megalodon? Yeah, exactly. There is an amphipod, which looks like a shrimp, usually about three centimeters. In the Challenger Deep, they found them over a foot long. The si- it's like the size of a chihuahua. It's meant to be this big. It's a foot long. It looks stupid. There's a guy holding one. Like They got one out of there, and he's all, I was like, that doesn't look natural. It looks like it's mutated. Uh, giant squids are an example of deep sea gigantism, and over ninety percent of all giant squids are believed to have come from the Marianas Trench. So, do they say why 
they are gigantic. Why things get gigantic? Because it can't be an abundance of food. Or is um, it a lack of other predators to kill them off? Well, like a, things only grow a certain size, you know what I mean? Not I mean, but maybe like oh, evolutionary wise, like if there's nothing to kill them off over thousands of years, mm-hmm. the biggest ones keep surviving. As opposed to like other animals, maybe the biggest. But that ones being don't said, so but that being said, like just to play devil's advocate, if there's little to no resources like to feed and to hunt and stuff like that, the smallest ones will actually survive because they require less. But there's lots intake. of resources. That's what I'm saying. Are there though? How many dead carcasses just? A lot, because every time a fish dies, it sinks. Yeah, no, but most f- fish die because another fish eat them. I guess. Anyway, these guys are all doing fine. They seem to be doing fine. Yeah, like you can call them on your shell phone and check in with them, but I think they're doing fine. <laughs> <Hey>, yo! <laughs> uh, according to scientists, the combination of pressure and cold in the trench has strange effects on animal bodies. All animal cells are surrounded by fatty membranes. Which <laughs> You're a fatty membrane. <laughs> Ah! which must stay liquid to transmit nerve signals and shuttle materials in and out of cells. But under these conditions, they would solidify. The extreme cold and high pressure of the ocean trench would make the fat in your cell membrane solid, just like butter in a refrigerator. Wow. Yeah, says Jeffrey Drazen of the University of Hawaii. Um, So deep sea animals must adapt their membranes to keep them liquid. Yes. Which they do. Uh Uh-huh. By having lots of unsaturated fats in their membranes. Unsaturated fats remain liquid at low temperatures. Excuse me. And keep the membranes loose. That, so that just must be an evolutionary Yeah, that's exactly like, what trait. it is. Yeah. yeah. It's like, this is what we need to do to survive, so we'll do it. But it's not just the cell membranes. The pressure also has a crippling effect on proteins. To function, proteins need to be free to change their size and shape. I can relate. Got to be able to undo that top button if you're having Jake's dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Got to change that size and shape, boo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to keep their proteins from conking out, deep-sea animals collect small organic molecules called piezolites in their cells. They bind together to water mo- They bind tightly, rather, to water molecules, which gives proteins more space and stops water being forced into the protein exteriors and distorting them. The deeper the animal lives, the more piezolites they tend to have. Fun fact, one type of piezolite, TMAO, gives fish their fishy smell. TMAO increases with depth, so deep-sea fish taste fishier than shallow fish. Just a fact. Look at splain for you there. Mm. Two splains for the price of one, Woo-hoo. people. Me, Come me, back me, next me, week me. and we'll tell you why you stink. Because <laughs> <laughs> you a deep-sea fish, bitch. <laughs> And that falls into the category of things we can't say. Is it? I think so. Calling everybody a deep sea <laughs> fish bitch. You're a deep sea fish bitch. I don't know. Um, DFFB. Um, but the most promising discoveries are actually all of the life we can't see down there. Oh, no. I forgot one thing. Hang on. Even funnier, slightly more gruesome fact... Uh, there is a limit to how many piezolites an animal can take. Around 8,200 meters below sea level, it is calculated that the cells of the fish would be as salty as the surrounding water. <laughs> Any more piezolites, and seawater would rush into their cells and burst them. So they can't take any more at that point. Once they get to 8,200 meters, no more piezolites. So, like, what Enough happens if... piezolites for you. What happens if one goes, like, I'm going to dare it on. Do it. I'm going to try it. And they go down deep. Their cells explode. Just 
No, they can. No, some fish can go deeper than that. Yes, but, but certain species can't. Certain species can't, and if they try, their body will try to adapt and get more pyzolites, and then their cells will be flooded with salt water. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. It's insane. But the most promising discoveries are actually all of the life we can't see down there. Mm. Analysis of sand from the bottom of the trench shows it's teeming with bacteria. An analysis shows that they could feed off of sulfur and carbon dioxide. Others may feed on gases like methane and hydrogen as these gases escape from the seabed when the tectonic plates move. It is thought that the Marianas Trench is one of the main contenders for the birthplace of life on Earth. Ooh. And it is because of this we need to continue to explore there. Because the more we find out about how life began on Earth, the more we find out about how life began in other places, maybe if it exists there. Mm-hmm. The conditions in the Challenger Deep are very similar to what scientists believe is the case on Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. Europa has an icy exterior under which is thought to lie a hidden liquid ocean with twice as much water as Earth's. If there are active volcanoes, then bacteria can survive on the seabed on Europa. Which we may knew, may which we may need <laughs> need we can make nude sooner than we think. Hashtag global warming, hashtag pollution, hashtag corporations. Because even at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, the deepest place in the ocean, here's some findings that are a bummer. 2016, a research expedition looked at the chemical makeup of crustacean scavengers collected from 8,000 to 10,000 meters within the trench. In these organisms, the researchers found extremely high levels of PCBs, a chemical toxin banned in the 70s for its environmental harm. 46 years previous, it was found in organisms living at 11,000 meters below sea level. They also found out that amphipods ingest microplastics and that 100% of amphipods had at least one piece of synthetic material in their stomachs. In 2019, our friend Victor Vakovo, who's like, you're my hero, man, Mm -hmm. um, reported seeing a plastic bag at the bottom of the trench. This finding was recorded by everyone from CNN to National Geographic. And I kind of remember hearing about it, actually, that like a plastic bag had made its way to the, one of the most remote parts of Earth. Imagine if it was Sobeys. The amount of like publicity <laughs> they would have gotten over that. It probably wasn't great. I mean, they couldn't see what type of bag it was. They just saw that it was a plastic bag. But yeah. it would not be good for that company, I guess. But 11,000 meters deep. That's crazy. A plastic bag made its way. And that same year, Scientific America, uh, American. But, I got a question. Yep. It's going to sound really silly. Yep. Okay. So you know how like certain objects float in water, mm-hmm. like plastic bags will float for a certain while, and then they'll until like, they're like filled with the water, and yeah. then they'll like go down, I Sink. guess. Yeah. But you know how there's such a vast amount of weight under there and pressure. Mm-hmm. Would it hit a certain point where the bag would just go and just Get dragged like, down? Be dragged down by the the weight. Do you know what I mean? Probably. The same way, like your. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it would just get then pushed down to the bottom. Uh, I'm it would not have sure. to. It would have to. The same way that your body would be crushed and smooshed. Yeah, but would it? That that the pressure is coming at you from all sides, not just pushing you down. Are you sure? No, no, no. I'm just. I'm surmising. Oh. Um. You sounded very confident, though. Yeah, sorry. I meant to sound more semi-easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know I'm either. Sure. That's a question. Maybe someone can help us answer it. I do know. I did read something about um, when I was talking like the whale carcasses and the shit that gets like put down there. Like it says, like that it does act as sort of a funnel. So like maybe there is an actual pressure that's once you get so low, it's like, yeah, 
Like a black hole. Yeah, like a dark hole. Um, that same year, Scientific America, uh, 2019, also reported that carbon-14 from nuclear bomb testing has been found in the bodies of aquatic animals from the trench. So it's a good thing we're looking into Europa, because that's mm-hmm. not good information. Nope. Um, and that concludes, except for the fact that, by popular demand, I brought back the bullshit button. Oh, no. (laughs) It's been like 30 episodes. It's been a while. Okay. So what do you think was bullshit? Okay. I was going to tell you ahead of time that I was going to do it, but I was like, well, that's not the point of the bullshit button. It's not the point of the bullshit button. To be honest with you. Oh, damn. Okay. Uh, Can I ask a series of questions to help figure it out? Yeah. How far into your content did it lie? Beginning, quarter, half. Three quarter end. Uh, three quarter. And is it something bullshitty? As in, like they didn't actually go ten thousand nine hundred fifty. No, it's, no, it's like literal bullshit. I didn't, literal I didn't bullshit. do a Jeff Sims bullshit. Where you just like that's right. mean. I did. I made up a full word, person, <laughs> and diagnosis on one that. time. No, actually, is your true and false that get shady sometimes? You're like, it wasn't nine, it was ten. <laughs> I don't. I'm not that much of an asshole. Um. No, it's a fully. I made it up entirely. I none of what it was in the sentence did I read about the Mariana's Trench. I can't imagine you're gonna pull it out of your ass because you didn't like bump on it when I, I. If you didn't bump on it when I said it, I don't think you'll bump on it now. Don't know. Give me a clue. Um, Newfoundland. Skeets. Oh, Skeets. Oh, his buddy's name not actually Don Walsh? No, 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 no. His name is Don Walsh. He's not obviously not from Newfoundland. Oh. No, think um, Skeets, Snobs, and Peppermint Knobs, and like the facts that you say at the beginning of the show. Oh, buddy from the Titanic? Nope, oh. that's true. Okay. Giant squids. Okay. E- everything I said about giant squids was a lie. Oh, what did the, you say about giant squids? I said they are an example of a deep sea gigantism, which they may be, uh-huh. but 90% of them are not found in the Marianas Trench. Oh. Yeah. Look at you go. Made that up. Well done, buddy. Thanks. You are a bullshit artist. I am a bullshit artist. Bullshit artist. Pretty buddy. On that note, everybody, you go take a bullshit break. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a break from our bullshit, so. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. But as always, enjoy your break. What would you do to ensure your legacy? Check out the debut novel of local author Justin B. Hodder titled The Mists of Morn and follow his titular character Emily Owens as she sets out to make her legacy in the cutthroat industry of archaeology and treasure hunting. What will she risk to make her name? And who will oppose her to tarnish it? Pick up your copy today to find out. The Mists of Morn, on sale now at your local bookstore or direct by the author. And welcome back! Can I help you? <laughs> I wish I could help you. What's wrong? So for that entire break, oh. Jeff was choking <laughs> and may continue to do so. Yes. On a chip. Tostitos chip. Yep. And I laughed <laughs> so hard mm-hmm. because A. I was what, daydreaming about choking <laughs> on a chip. and Multiple reasons. A. <clears throat> it was like caught right by your gag reflex. So you just kept like start trying to speak and then mid-sentence you'd stop and go, Ugh. it was sort of like the the woman on that viral video who tries to eat the spoonful of cinnamon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah, yeah, it reminded yeah, yeah, me a lot yeah. of that. Yeah. So that was very funny. 
Also, you just kept saying, I can't get it up, but you were saying up like you had the thickest Newfoundland accent. I can't get it all. <laughs> I can't get it all. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the It funniest. wasn't an enjoyable experience. My whole face is red. It was a was, very enjoyable experience. I was coughing. Sleep and for yourself. And spitting and crying, snapping and balling. And then you were like, I think I'm going to throw up. I was like, well, don't throw up. I'm like, sing. Go to the washroom, you nutting. But I didn't throw up. No, but you didn't know. Ugh. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of like, Ugh. There's a lot of that. There was a lot of that. Anyway. Anyways, it was onward. comical. It doesn't sound as comical now that we're talking about it now. No, it just sounds like a thing that happened. I'm going to be shaded as a villain in this scenario. Yes, for shaming me for choking. Had for you choking. been there, you would have laughed too. Yes, if you were in the room where it happened. Where we all want to be. Yep. <coughs> I just took a deep breath. And <laughs> That's still there? No, I think it's just like residual saliva. Saliva? Nope. Saliva. What do you mean residual saliva? Saliva that's left over, like a casualty. Well, swallow it. Leave it. Move on. Explain <laughs> something to me. All right. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm going to step for the topic. No. Uh, that was a joke. Um, yeah. So we are going to dive into Brexit. Yes. Yes. Um, so, um, Evan... You asked for Brexit, you had it down, but strangely enough, well, not strangely enough, because almost every topic that we do, I think both of us <laughs> know nothing about. Know it. nothing about. Yeah. Um, but this one in particular, I knew zero about. Like, didn't know the word? No. What? Well, no, no, no. Like, I've heard the word Brexit, oh, and okay. I knew of the, the turmoil. Right. Um, but I knew, I, I knew very little about it, and yeah. I think... Uh, I, I will. I, it's not that I think. I know very little about politics in yeah. every capacity. Yeah. Whether it's our provincial, our federal, U.S., even let alone the other end of the world. Across the pond. I, I know nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Catherine throws shade all the time for me not understanding or knowing anything. Yes. Even your questions, your multiple choice, or at the end of. Uh, oh yeah, the three terms types of government or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. Um. So. I didn't even know what the word Brexit was. It's like Britain's exit. That's right? exactly it. It, yeah. it. it was a shortened Britain's exit. Yeah. So from, let's do from it. what the EU? Yes. Okay. That's so, all I know. Yeah, and that's really all you need to know. Okay. So well, then, great. D- done. <laughs> done. <clears throat> I'm gonna go choke for another hour. Man. So to first don't. understand Brexit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we first need to understand the circumstances that led to the creation of the European Union. Yes. Yep. Because it kind of paints the picture a little bit. Which I think I read about for some topic that I've done. You must, uh, maybe. The European Union, right? Yeah. Maybe for, like, uh, the the Queen, like, when you did a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, maybe. It been but it's not like that. The, no, it's not the Commonwealth, though. No, like, but they were, the they were ruled by Britain. <clears throat> right? No. 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 Britain's not head of the EU. They're just a member. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Go on. So, if we take a trip down memory lane, yep. we realize that the majority of the wars that happened in Europe were caused by micro agreements amongst small countries. Okay. Right. Um, <clears throat> if you were to, oh, actually, I did. I googled conflicts in Europe. Okay. And Wikipedia gave an alarmingly large document of battles uh, fought in Europe from pre 500 BC to the 21st century. Right. So, like, it's shocking the amount of, like, minor small battles from neighboring countries. Because yeah. if you think of Europe as, like, a massive land, all of it's just divided into many countries, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's it's risk. Yeah, exactly. It's that yeah, same, yeah, yeah. it's those little spots you keep taking back and forth that yeah. no one can keep. 
mm-hmm. because they're next, you know, it's like try and take Canada. Well, it, you know, you got to come across the pond. And blah, blah, blah. It's like you have Canada, U.S., Russia, like these yes. massive lands, right? Yeah. Uh, so with numerous trade deals, tariffs, immigration laws, and conflicting political and religious ideals, it is no wonder that each neighboring country would find itself in constant conflict. Yeah. Um, so do you remember how the First World War started? Assassination of Franz Ferdinand. Exactly. Um, but more specifically, why the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand was such a big deal. Not necessarily like his importance or his significance, right. but more so how it actually became the catalyst for World War One. Uh, I do not. Sure. Well, it was the mutual defense alliances that caused a cascading effect that inevitably led to the war. Okay. So... <clears throat> These treaties meant that if one country was attacked, allied countries were bound to defend them. Right. So before World War I, the following alliances existed. Russia and Serbia. Yep. Germany and Austria-Hungary. France and Russia. Britain and France and Belgium. And Japan and Britain. Right. So Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia, which was because of the assassination. That right. singular event, those two got into a fight. Yeah. Because of that, Russia got involved to defend Serbia. Germany, seeing Russia mobilizing, declared war on Russia. France was then drawn in against Germany and Austria-Hungary. Germany attacked France through Belgium, pulling Britain into war. Then Japan entered the war. Later, Italy and the United States would enter on sides of the Allies. So simply, that one conflict drew all of these minor countries in because of these alliances and minor agreements. Right. So it became a world war. Um, as we exit one of the most devastating wars the world has seen, it leaves Europe in a state of utter depression yep. and unfortunately sets the stage for another world war. Right. Okay. The Treaty of Versailles rips Germany of its land and its dignity. I don't know if you know much about the Treaty of Versailles. I do not. But it's pretty it's well French. the end of World War One. They were kind of like, let's blame all of this on Germany. Right. And Germany had to accept full fault of the World War. Right. Lost all of their resources, lost all of their land. They weren't allowed to have a military anymore. Just stripped them of everything. <clears throat> right. Um, and then leading right after that, the world finds itself entering into the Great Depression. Yeah. Right. In 1933, Hitler took power, and well, you know how that went. Yep. Uh, he tried to reform and regain a stronger Germany. Allied treaties forced countries back into war again to protect and secure land and agreements. Right. So similar to World War One, the second he invaded Poland, then the whole thing happened all over again because of all of these countries. Sorry. Um, micro agreements amongst each other. Right. So World War Two finally ended. Yep. When Japan finally surrendered with the mass napalming bombs of almost all of its major cities, and then finally the atomic bombs. Yeah. Uh, World War II ended, and Europe once again fell into tensions as the threat of communism spread throughout neighboring countries, and the Cold War ravished an, an already hemorrhaging, broken Europe. Right. Um, as the war ended, the European countries realized the need to find lasting peace. Yeah. They said to themselves, we got to stop this. Yes, let's this see if we can figure this out. Literally a waste of time. Yeah, and resources, and yes. let's see if we can figure this out. So, as of 1950, the European coal and steel community begins to unite European countries economically and politically in order to secure lasting peace. Okay. The six founding countries were Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Okay. In 1957, the Treaty of Rome creates the European Economic Community, the EEC, or what they call the common market. Okay. 
The 1960s is a good period for the economy helped by the fact that EU countries stop charging custom duties when they trade with each other. Right. So all of these neighboring countries... They're just of, so close to each other. Yeah. Instead of having tariffs and trades and stuff mm. like that, they say, no, 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 go on through. Yeah. It's just to help each other, right? Yeah. They also agree joint control over food production so that everybody now has enough to eat. Right. And soon there is even surplus agricultural produce. So now they're no longer being super stingy. They're helping each other out. Yeah. Denmark, Ireland, and the UK joined the European Union on the 1st of January, 1973, raising the number of member states to nine. Okay. The European Union regional policy states, or sorry, starts to move huge sums of money to create jobs and infrastructure in poorer eras, areas. Sorry. Right. So they start going, oh, wait, wait, wait. This country has a lot of money. Let's start funneling stuff. And they start redistributing wealth amongst the European oh. Union. The European... Uh, Parliament increases its influence in the European Union affairs, and in 1979, all citizens can, for the first time, elect their members directly. Wait. Okay, so there are members of the European Union. They're not like the heads of state of the country. It's a separate appointment. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Think of it as like, like an provincial. Ambassador. Think of it as like, like provincial and federal. Like that kind well, of, but it's but it's not. It's neither of those things. <clears throat> but like, think of it's it like, as it's that l- way. kind of like an ambassador, more so. Kind of, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. In 1981, Greece becomes the tenth member of the EU, and Spain and Portugal follow five years later. In 1986, the Single European Act is signed. This is a treaty which provides the basis for a vast six-year program aimed at sorting out the problems with the free flow of trade across European Union borders and thus creates the single market. Okay. What they mean by the single market is um, instead of having like, you know how like the US and Canada and like China, we're all trading with each other and there's weird tariffs and taxes and shipping stuff nope it's one single market right where everyone can trade freely everyone can transport freely right there's no taxes or tariffs or anything like that um there is a major political upheaval when on november 9th 1989 the berlin wall is pulled down Mm -hmm. and the border between east and west germany is opened for the first time in 28 years Mm -hmm. this leads to the reunification of germany when both East and West are united in October of 1990. Right. Uh, with the collapse of communism across Central and Eastern Europe, Europeans become closer neighbors. Right. Everyone just gets a little bit more huggier, you yeah. know? Get rid and of that wall. It's a global drive. Tear down that wall. Thank you. In 1993, the single market is completed with four f- essential freedoms. Okay. Freedom of the movement of goods, mm-hmm. freedom of the movement of services, movement of people, and movement of money. Okay. Okay. The uh, the 1990s is also the decade of two treaties, the Maastricht Treaty on European Union in 1993 and the Treaty of Amsterdam in 1999. Okay. People are concerned, though, about how to protect the environment and also how Europeans can act together when it comes to security and defense matters. Right. In 1995, the European Union gains three more new members, Austria, Finland, and Sweden. A small village in Luxembourg gives its name to the Schengen Agreement that gradually allow people to travel without having their passports checked at the borders. Which means they can travel to whatever country they want within the European Union without needing a passport. Right. 
Like think about going from Canada to the U.S. We're still a part of North America. Yeah, but we need a passport. You need a passport, yeah. right? Um, they can just travel freely. They just travel freely. So, like I said, the freedom of movement of people, goods, right, uh, services, and money. You can just okay. do whatever you want, whenever you want, within right. these European unions, right? So that obviously caused a little bit of an issue when it came to border security and stuff, right? And yeah. Well, you would like say there was a criminal. Mm. You were not sure what country they're in because no one checked. Yeah. So in by the two thousands, yeah, uh, the it's crazy that happened at all. <clears throat> Freedom, yeah, yeah. So by the two thousands, the euro is now the new currency for many Europeans. Right during the decade, more and more countries adopt the euro. Uh, September the eleventh becomes synonymous with war on terror mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, more terrorist attacks hit the UK and put unnecessary pressure on politicians to resolve the unchecked immigration standards amongst the EU. Right. Right. Like exactly like you said, you're getting terrorists, you're getting criminals, you're getting Ill- technically you could have illegal immigrants coming in. Yeah. And there's no way to check, to balance, to do anything like that yeah. because there's very little restriction. Yeah. Which is why people say you should go travel to Europe in your twenties. It's so cheap and you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you can like, pop from country to country easily. No yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah. Um the political divisions between East and West Europe are finally declared healed when no fewer than ten new countries joined the EU in two thousand and four, followed by Bulgaria and Romania in two thousand and seven. Okay. So the global economic crisis strikes hard. In Europe, which was 2008. Is that the housing crisis? The 2008 economic crisis. So that was kind of like the big uh, stock market crash of 2008. There was, there right. was a housing. Was that, was that the thing in the U.S. when they were like all those banks were giving people mortgages they couldn't afford and stuff? There was a, yeah, there was an yeah. ordeal of things. Yeah. Um, the EU helps several countries to confront uh, their difficulties and establishes the banking union okay. to ensure safer and more reliable banks. Right. In 2012, the European Union is awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh. Uh, Croatia becomes the 28th member of the European Union in 2013. So that's kind of a little bit of a brief history leading up to kind of what Brexit is. Okay. Uh, and it kind of sets the tone of the political, economic kind of standards right. that the European the, Union yes, stood for. And the weight of Britain trying to leave it. Yeah, a little and then bit. eventually doing so. Yeah. yeah. So this all, this brings us there. So after 40 years of membership, yeah. how did the UK get to the position where they would want a proposition to their people, we should leave the Union? Yeah. Right? So when the fir- when the UK first actually tried to enter the Union... Were they were they the... F- no, you no. told me they, they were They joined the first, 1973. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, nineteen seventy. Yeah, there was nine or eight before that. Yeah, yeah there was. Right. There, well, it started with six back in nineteen fifty. Right. So when the UK first tried to enter the Union, there were some oppositions, mainly from the French. Right. The French President Charles de Gaulle, Gaulle, G U A L L E, G U A L L E, Gaulle, Gaulle. I think so. Hmm. Uh, he vetoed the UK's application in 1963, and then once again in 1967. He doubted Britain's commitment to the Union's political objectives. Right. He did not believe their economy was compatible with the existing six countries. The UK's relationship with the US was also a little bit of a concern. They were not sure if if another conflict were to break out, where would the UK's allegiance lie? Ooh. Yeah. In 1969, French, the, sorry, France elected a new president. 
and the UK succeeded then in joining the European Union in 1973. Interesting. Just after two years of joining, the UK held a referendum on whether or not they should have actually joined the European Union. Um, back then, about 67% of the voters uh, favored continuation of their membership. So there mm. was like a larger than half. They're like, yep, yeah, go ahead. Uh, in the years that followed, the European Union... That's a mouthful. The yeah. European Union. It is. You can EU? say EU. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> in the years that followed, the EU transformed from a trade agreement, which was a, what it originally was, right, to a more political alliance, right, giving Brussels increasing influence over other areas of policy. What's Brussels? I'm glad you asked. They are the capital of Belgium. Okay. And they are the headquarters for the EU. Okay. So anytime you hear someone referring to Brussels, it is referring to the European Union headquarters. They're the head of okay. the EU. So um, instead of it being like this massive trade thing where everyone's like, yay, free trade, super easy, yeah. free economy, it becomes more politically driven and okay. more power is given to them Okay, as opposed to other areas, right? In 1984... Margaret Thatcher managed to broker a deal commonly referred to as the rebate, um, which reduced the UK's financial contribution to the EU budget by billions. Okay. They also managed to get certain opt-outs that have allowed the UK to not have to participate in certain policies set up by the EU. Because I would imagine that the UK was like, you, you have to pay a percentage like yeah. a tax. So like the UK had probably the largest wealth of any country involved. Well, I'll get into that a little bit in right. terms of like cost of membership. Okay. Um, I'll, well, I mean, I got a small paragraph on it. But yes, you are right. Right. Um, so one of the things they didn't have to necessarily... So the UK was able to stop the Schengen Agreement, uh, which was the border p- patrol with their passports. Right. They were able to stop certain countries from... They, they would allow certain countries to come in with passports, some without, right? Oh, okay. They also opted out of the monetary union in 1992, allowing them to keep their currency as the pound sterling instead of the euro. Right. Uh, the introduction of the euro was part of a wide-ranging agreement called the Maastricht Treaty. Okay. It expanded the European Union's agenda of being an economic community to include foreign affairs, justice, and policing. Mm-hmm. Once you unify something like that, like currency, then it all becomes right. one, right? So this became the framework for the modern European Union that we that we know today. Right. For Euroskeptics, which is an interesting word, Euroskeptics. It's like people who are like, hmm... Not to a good sure about you. Yes. You know? Yes. I, uh, I want to be your friend, but do I want to live with you? Yes, they're yeah. skeptics. It was an unacceptable transfer of power from the UK Parliament yeah. to Brussels. Right. So they were just relinquishing all power right. to make major political decisions, yes. to write laws, yes. to money. Things it, we decided ourselves yesterday, tomorrow was decided by someone else. Exactly. Yeah. So instead of it being a massive trade agreement, now it's way more. Right. Uh, however, a long period of economic growth under pro-European prime ministers in, in the UK maintained enough support from the European Union and the single market. Meaning that calls for another referendum was put on the back burner for about another 20 years. Right. So things are going so good. After a while, they're like, man, you know what? Maybe this is okay. Right. And they put on the back burner. 
So there were other factors contributing to the UK's dissatisfaction with the EU. Okay. Okay. They were not happy with the level of bureaucracy in Europe. Okay. In 2004, the entry of 10 new countries in the EU also led to more questions in the UK about the country's level of immigration. In the next 10 years, the number of European Union migrants living in the UK almost doubled. Wow. Yeah. Right. Because the more countries join, the more countries can freely just live in another country. Exactly. And the UK being, like you said, one of the richest and most yeah. heavily you know yeah. successful country everybody just flowed over there right? right like we can now go there without having to show a passport exactly yeah right and they can just move there they can park there there's no transfer right. papers there's yeah. nothing right? right you don't have to pass go you don't collect 200 dollars. just dart on over yeah right um and there's also like we can call a spade a spade a little bit and just say you know like there is a really bad negative stigma and culture around immigration. Yeah. And you're seeing it a lot in like Southern states right now. Yeah. That sort of culture lived a little bit in the UK. Right. Uh, of like, not from here. They're taking our jobs. They're, right. It's it's that kind of really negative tone yeah. on immigrants. Right. Do you know what I mean? Which is not, is not correct. It's not healthy. But no. that was the tone of, of, yes. of that, right? Yeah. Also, they're coming out of a massive amount of um, terrorist attacks and crimes and stuff right. like that. So, so like, there's some prejudice preconceived. Sort exactly. Of, yeah. And like, you know, people are allowed to be afraid, but they're yes. putting their fear and their anger in, into the wrong resources. Exactly. And they're blaming the wrong people. Yeah. yeah well said. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so this, along with the fall in household incomes after the 2008 financial crash has all been seen as contributing to resentment towards the European migrants. Right. They're blaming it all on them. Yeah. They came in. They're ruining our household incomes. They're stealing yes. our jobs. Our houses are worth less because they're moving into these neighborhoods. Right. It's really bad. Yeah. As a result, support for the anti-European party, which is named UKIP. UKIP. <laughs> UKIP. It sounds like a hiccup. Uh, and its leader, Nigel Farage, started to grow rapidly. Okay. So many conservative party candidates were concerned about their supporters actually switching allegiance to the UKIP. Strangely enough, UKIP wasn't conservative, even though the mindset of like immigrants stealing our jobs is very a conservative kind of mindset. Right. Um, but there was two different parties. They pleaded with Prime Minister David Cameron to promise a European Union referendum in his campaign manifesto. Mm-hmm. He did. He did. And the conservatives won the election with an overall majority. Right. So, uh, as divisions within the party became more and more evident, Prime Minister Cameron promised a referendum by the end of 2017. Okay. Okay. Uh, He first tried to renegotiate with the European Union. He went there and was like, let's figure this out so we don't have to do a referendum vote. Um, He left the negotiations with a deadly old deal, but it was not enough to settle the Eurosceptics. Oh. Mm. So Prime Minister Cameron, as he had promised, uh, held a referendum and set a date for June 23rd, 2016. Okay. So that was the day everyone was going to vote. Right. Okay. The political parties battled tooth and nail trying to convince the people to stay or to leave the European Union. It truly, truly divided the country. Uh, bus- well, it, the UK divided all of its individual countries. Yes. Um, so businesses, uh, sorry, business owners, newspapers, politicians, schools, they all took a stance on whether to stay or go. Right. Each one pushing their reasons publicly. 
uh, as I was doing this, there was one, uh, my research, there was one local bar owner who went to a hundred different pubs that his company owned. He traveled to all hundred of them and he served out Brexit, Brexit, sorry, manifestos to the guests, urging them to vote to leave the European Union. He would go to the bar and be like, hey, I own this bar. You should leave. Just right. like hand out little flyers. Like imagine that. That's incredible. It's very like sounds. I mean, to a different degree, I would imagine. But like Newfoundland deciding whether they're going to join Canada or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's I, I noted that in a second. Um, and actually, funny enough, one of the other things I saw was this small, very, very small, like basement theater of the Arts and Culture Center. And like a screams best kind productions. It's it's so great. Right. Uh, theater company did like a parody musical on Brexit. Ah, oh. and they showed a small clip of it. And I think we should try to find it afterwards because it's really funny. Amazing. Um, just as a side note. So there are so many variations of truth, speculation, fear mongering. The general public had no idea how to dissect, how to digest the incoming information in order to make an informed decision about what to actually do. Right. Because every time the political parties would come out and say facts about why they should leave. The other party would come out and say, well, that's a lie. This is the actual fact. Right. And no one can actually discern what the correct information was. Yeah. Um, so there were many arguments uh, for and against leaving. Okay. The biggest conflict was immigration. Yeah. It, that was the underlying thing about it all. Um, next was the cost of the membership. The right. European Union members are either what they call net contributors or net beneficiaries. Right. So net contributors pay more than they receive. Yeah. Net beneficiaries get more than they contribute. Right. In 2015, the UK was the second highest net contributor, second to Germany. Right. It was stated during the debates that the UK spent roughly 360 million pounds a week to be a member of the European Union. Wow. So that's what they the leaving party said. Yeah, and then the party to stay said no. It's only twenty five million pounds. Right. The reality is, it was about one hundred and sixty million pounds a week. Right. Because it was three hundred and sixty, uh, but out of that three, or sorry, three hundred and fifty, but out of that three hundred and fifty, I think it was like eighty six was spent in the UK. Right. They gained some of it back out yeah. of, the, and then there was like a rebate of eighty six. Like there was right. all sorts of different things. Right. Out of pocket, out of country, yeah. was about one hundred and sixty. Right. Right. Um, another was the sovereignty and the EU lawmaking. People did not like and agree the, to the idea that laws were made in Brussels and that they should abide by them. Right. Why couldn't they be made in the UK by the UK for the UK? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is fair. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, it's the same thing as us adhering to rules that the U.S. put into place. Right. Like, but not like trade embargoes. We're talking no. like little things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's what led the tensions. That's why people didn't like what was going on. Right. So let's talk about the vote. Okay. So the following morning, like well, I said. 2017, you said? 2016. 2016. Yeah. So he, he uh, the vote was June 23rd, 2016. Okay. Uh, he promised it by the end of 2017. Yeah. So the following morning, so the 24th. The vote came in, and the decision was made. Do you know what the decision was? 
uh, I'm not sure. I know that they have left it, but I don't know if that happened then or not. Oh, okay, cool. That's that. I would like when you said I have no idea what happened. Oh, yeah. No. I was just trying to gauge how. No, no, no. I knew they have exited. Gotcha. Um, yes, you're correct. The vote came in, and the decision was made for the UK to leave the European Union. I didn't realize it happened while David Cameron was prime minister. I thought it was when Theresa May was in. Well, hear it out. Oh, okay. A whopping 51 to 49 percent. No, was it? 51.9 to 48.1. Seriously? Similar standings. Same as Newfoundland. To Newfoundland Joining Confederation. Holy shit. Yep. I didn't realize that. Yep. Very so close. So that's why it's so controversial. Yep. Well, it's controversial for a, like, yes, like, say, a lot like, of reasons. But like within the country, which within the UK, it's super controversial because it's like literally half of them, yeah. slightly less than half, yep. were like, no, bye. Yep. So England. 53.4% said leave. Yeah. Scotland, 62% said stay. Wales, 52.2% said leave. Northern Ireland, 558 said stay. London, 59.9% said stay. But vast majority... Did you say Northern Ireland? You didn't say regular Ireland? I, that's correct. I don't know why it didn't specify. Well, because as I told you, there's two specific islands, right? Is one Ireland not a part of the UK? And Northern Ireland is? Northern Ireland 100% is very... Remember like in the the Troubles and stuff? The Troubles. One is the Republic of Ireland. Northern Ireland is actually part of... Yeah, but I thought it was still part of the UK, but I guess it's not. Maybe it's just part of the European Union and not a part of the UK. Yeah. Anyways, it just specified that. Yeah. So June 23rd is said to now be declared as the UK's Independence Day. Oh. Immediately after the news, Prime Minister Cameron resigned. Wow. Stating that the country needed new leadership. Yeah. Theresa May would later replace him as Prime Minister, even though that she was also in favor in staying into the European Union. Right. Uh, but you are 100% correct. Like, it was literally the next day. He was like, got to go. Bye. Uh, yeah. There was a, a famous thing of him being like, this isn't something minor he's like yeah once we make the decision the decision is made there is no going back yeah once you jump out of this airplane you cannot try to, to you crawl. will you will be crushed yeah. and your eyeballs will pop out of their sockets <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well done into a circle and the ball we're not sure we're not sure but like, there'll you be may under sink. overwhelming <laughs> pressure yes. from numerous directions yeah so that was the decision okay so, in order for the process of the UK leaving to commence, yeah. they first needed to invoke Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty. Okay. Once this happens, it takes it starts a two-year negotiations amongst the remaining 27 members. The UK will not be able to be, take part in these negotiations. Oh, 27 members of the EU. Yeah. Okay. Um, if all were to be successful, the UK was set to leave the European Union by March 29th, 2019. Okay. This would bring them through a transition period that would carry them to the end of 2020. Right. During this transition period, British MEPs would leave the European Parliament, but most other things will run very similarly as they did before. All taxes, fees, bill, immigration laws, they'll all continue to carry forward until the grace period has actually ended. Okay. Which would be the end of December 2020. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. In this time, they go into intense negotiations to decide things like whether they would still participate in the single market, like the free trade amongst all the countries. Right. Because um, they can still 
partake in whatever they want. They're just not obligated to because they won't be part of the EU. Exactly. Well, these were, right. these are the negotiations. Right. Because it's kind of like who decides the other twenty seven? Uh, kind of a little bit of both. The okay. EU and the UK right. sit down. They go. So how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. It's like a divorce. You can't have your cake and eat it right. too. Yeah. Like they're not going to be like you. You're not going to benefit. No. From all the stuff. But with if us. we could benefit from you and you still want to, great. Yes. Yeah. There is, uh, and that's yeah. the part of it, right? Yeah. Because they were, yeah, you said the second highest contributor. Yeah. So like, if there's still a way we can we can benefit from you yeah. without you being a member, great. But in the same breath, if you think geographically, yeah. Uh, the majority of the UK is an island, or like, well, at least London or England's an island compared to the rest of Europe. Like, there is a separation of water. So the only bordering part is Ireland. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, like, in terms of trade and stuff, there's a lot of trade to go there. Yeah. But it's not as much as it would be if, like, Russia or... Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of moving parts there. Uh, my spot, sorry. A big concern was Northern Ireland. Right. With tensions historically being high, they were concerned that Ireland had land neighboring the European Union and it would create border tensions. If there were more restrictions on business and transit, it would create unnecessary conflict and a revolution. So the Republic of Ireland is part of the EU and Northern Ireland is not. Probably. Yeah. Um, Based on what you just said, it sounds like Northern Ireland is the UK. Yeah. And the rest of Ireland is EU. So that was a large part of it, trying to figure out how the hell they're going to navigate that. Well, we know what those conflicts are like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So as of January 1st, 2021... The deal contains new rules for how the UK and the EU will live, work, and trade together. Okay. Okay. While like, the- it's not like a breakup. It's not like you can be like, see you later, never see you again. Like, no. You will see them around at the same bar every week. Yes, but instead you know I mean? of like, I, I sometimes I'll pay for the drinks and you'll pay no. for the drinks. It's like, no, you got to pay for your drinks separately now. No, no, but still, it's like, it's, it's not a- We don't cl- share a cab right home anymore. No, but it's not a clean break. You're going to see them every single day. Like, you still got to work with them. Oh, yeah. You can't cut out every member of the EU and be like, we won't work with you anymore. No. 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 Um, So while the UK was in the European Union, companies could buy and sell goods across European Union borders without paying taxes, and there were no limits on the amount of things which could be traded. Okay. Right? Under the terms of the deal, that won't change on January the 1st, but to be sure that neither side has an unfair advantage. Right. Both sides had to agree to some shared rules and standards on workers' rights, as well as many social and environmental regulations. It's so complicated. Oh, like dude. the amount of conversations that had to be had. Oh, so that like Ireland doesn't go to war. Yeah, and like yeah, just like yeah. Imagine though, being part of a country that's so temperamental. Like as a country. Yeah. You're temperamental. But it's not. That other it's countries a, it's are It's a like, large piece of land. Ireland itself is not one country. That's the thing. Ireland's not a country? Northern Ireland is not the same country as the Republic of Ireland. No, no, no. But you know what I'm trying to say, though. Imagine being a section of... That's what I mean. A I mean? section of land. Like a province is, of... Yeah. That they just like, let's just tap dance around them. Yeah. They're like the uncle... At the family dinner that gets drunk and is just like a little racist. You're like, let's not upset Uncle John now. Yeah. He's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, um, So freedom to work and live between the UK and the European Union also comes to an end. Okay. So you can't work wherever you want. You can't live wherever you want. You can't like drive into France From, to work and then come back no. at 5 p.m. No. Uh, you also can't live there either. Right. Right. UK nationals will need a visa if they want to stay in the European Union more than 90 days right. in 
a 180 day period. Right. So now it's just like any other country. Yeah. Excuse me. Northern Ireland will continue to follow many of the European Union's rules in right. order to avoid a hardening of its borders with the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. So I think we're right. Yeah. This will mean, however, that new checks will be introduced on goods entering Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK. Right. Now that it's no longer in the European Union, the UK is free to set its own trade policy and can negotiate deals with other countries. Right. Talks are being held with the US, Australia, and New Zealand, countries that currently don't have a free trade deal with the European Union. So the UK is trying to take advantage of that. Uh, so let's fast forward to today. Okay. So I pulled up the BBC. BBC. Uh, just the to, British BBC. Yeah. <laughs> just to see, like, and I just typed in Brexit. Right. Because you know they're still using that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's only been four months since this is the, the official actual split. Versus, I mean, it's been going on forever, but like it's so recent. Yeah. So since the formal transition in January 2021, yep. the UK and the EU are experiencing some major hiccups okay. in their normal operations. Right. Uh, the transport of goods and routes have been incredibly inconvenienced and interrupted. Yeah. Uh, there are big challenges with the fishing industry in Northern Ireland. Compared to like, go wherever you want, no one cares. Yeah. It's a huge Now hiccup. every time you cross... To go yeah. to the UK, you have to like sign documents, sign passports. Put your right foot in, take your left foot out. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just shake it all about. Yes, I mean. Yeah. The UK's Brexit minister, Lord Frost, which is a hilarious name. I love it. Uh, has said, it is hard to see that the way the Northern Ireland protocol is currently operating, he said, can be sustainable for very long. Yeah. He said, it's clear from my visit that the protocol is presenting significant challenges for many people in Northern Ireland. Mm. Businesses have gone to extraordinary efforts to make the current requirements work, but it's hard to see that the way the protocol is currently operating can be sustainable for long. Wow. So they're going, mm. Not to mention Kovic. Kovic. Yeah, Kovic got me drawers. Seriously. Um, but a levy. So there's... <laughs> There's uh, so many other things, which I'm just going to read out the headlines. Okay. Okay. French fishing boats leave Jersey after protest. UK gives European Union ambassador full diplomatic status. If that's a headline, what does that mean? Like, how tight are tensions if they're like, okay, you can have diplomatic status to come over here and chat with us. Right. Like, that's how tight yeah. these things are right now. Michael Barnier, uh, Barnier's diaries reveal frustration with Diane Dodds, who they're uh, UK and EU ambassadors. Okay. Um, Poots threatens legal action over Irish sea border. There's a border in the sea. What do you mean a border? A border in oh, oh, the okay. sea. Oh. To be like, this is Ireland and this is, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like to differentiate that, those things. UK exports to Ireland dropped 13% since Brexit. Irish sea border still causing difficulties. Anger over UK's failure to get Norway fish deal. Pressure mounts to reopen Brexit deal. Plea to Prime Minister over post-Brexit touring crisis. Mean reopen. To be like, we made a mistake. Let's reopen the deal. Let's like, like, let's go back to the negotiating oh, shit. table. Shit. Buys. Yeah. yeah. This one's a good one. Plea to Prime Minister over post-Brexit touring crisis. So that came from a Shakespeare company in the UK pleading from tourism and stuff like that being like, no one's coming here. Yeah. We don't have anyone to come see our shows. It's like tourism here in Newfoundland, right? Yeah. Um, ponies detained over Brexit form. 
Pony. detained. Ponies held over Brexit forms reunited with their owners. Yeah, they are. <laughs> the Heck yeah. That was yeah. the Price is Right theme, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. But the Price was right. The ponies oh. were brought back nice. the next day. It was great. It was like one day the ponies were detained, and the next day they were reunited with owners. As things should Both be. made headlines. Yeah. So it's safe to say the country's in turmoil. Seriously. Um, because she has eventually resigned, right? She was like, got to go. Theresa May? Yeah. I'm not actually sure. I'm, not I'm sure. pretty sure within the last few months, she's like, I've, I'm going to depart now. Yeah, she just, Boris Johnson is the, is the PM now. No, no. Is he the prime minister now? Because Boris Johnson was the head of the separatist movement. Of He wanted to leave the European Union. He I was, think he's the PM because he got Kovic. He got to Kovic? He did. Is he okay? Yeah. Okay. He got, yeah, this is a couple months ago. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, go on. Anyways, well, we'll, that's, we'll, we'll look that up later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so obviously we're living in the consequences of Brexit as we speak. Right. Right. Like there is. Yeah, like, it's very fresh. It's super, super fresh. Like leading up into it, knowing about it, and kind of with the consequences of it, we are now living the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I think, you know, this could be something we can touch on in the next six to 12 months of being like, hey, this is new in Brexit because of Brexit. You know, this is happening or this policy or that. Same thing as, as Free Britney. Uh, apparently, um, Brittany is now allowed to speak at one of her trials. There's an upcoming trial for her um, yes. conservatorship, and the judge has allowed her to get up and talk, which has never been allowed. Right. So her, there's an upcoming trial where she gets to get up and be like, "Because of the it's free Brittany, Brittany bitch, movement. probably." <laughs> um, hi, hi, Judge, Your Honor, it's Brittany bitch. It's Brittany bitch. But uh, let's move forward. Yeah. Um, there was also uh, <laughs> she's like, oh, excuse me, Miss Spears. Uh, no, sorry, Your Honor, it's Brittany bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well done. Um, speaking of things from the past, I also saw an article today that scientists, for the first time, were able to watch a star be devoured by a supermassive black hole. And they watched the star get spaghettified. That's the term they used, spaghettified. I love that. Yep. Uh, so I was reading the article before you came and picked me up. And I was going to talk about it more formally, but I What forgot. do you mean they watched it? Like through the Hubble? I don't have that answer. Because it obviously happened like thousands and thousands yes, well, of yeah, years that's ago. That's irrelevant. They, yeah, because they're only just getting the light yes, now. Yeah, I, I don't know how they observed it, like logistically, like, like Crave or like Amazon Prime or Pro- probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah Boris Johnson, by the way, is the current um, prime minister. Prime minister. Yeah. As of when? Uh since twenty nineteen. Says this. Theresa May resigned. I knew she resigned. I think it was like a very spur of the moment that she resigned. Well, Buddy resigned June 24th, 2016. Cameron. Theresa May resigns. Let me see. Uh, May 24th, 2019. No, wait. Yep. That's weird that she wouldn't even see through to the January 1. Or maybe because of the negotiations and how things were going, she knew that she did not want to be on the receiving end of that shitstorm. I mean, she was on the end of the shitstorm. Was she? I think so. Like, I don't think she ever had a good time. No, she wanted to stay with the Euro- U- European Union. Yeah, and I the don't, entire I don't think she time ever had she a good was... time as prime minister. I mean, no, no. But I mean, who does honestly? Yeah, who does? That's bleak. Yeah. 
Anyways, that is Brexit for you, my friend. Did you learn anything? Did, are your questions answered? Yeah. yeah. I'm afraid that one of these days I'm going to ask it and you're going to be like, no. That's definitely going to happen because it's happened with everything as we've made a point to show. Like, yes. Retention is the problem. Yes. I, well, I also just explained 70 years of yes. European history into yeah. what? A half an hour? 40 minutes? Yeah. It's a lot to take in. But... Um, it, it was definitely eye-opening in terms of, like, why does it matter? Why do we care? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah. It doesn't do a lot for us on this side of the water. No. Um, other than it opens up trade possibilities with the UK for us. And yes. opens up travel opportunities. Opens up all sorts of things for us. Um, Which may not have been available. Well, yes, because the UK now has the freedom to decide for themselves, as opposed to twenty-eight countries deciding. Well, yeah, Brussels deciding for them, right? Well, but there's a union. Like it's not just a single person who lives in Brussels. It's no, the no, union. No. no, it's it's a it's a patch of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> yeah, like it is like twenty-eight representatives. Like, is, is there one representative from each country? I, I don't know right. politically how it works. At least one. But but here's that was half of the thing is that the sovereignty of it is that they didn't like. After a while, if you keep letting more and more and more countries in, it dilutes the pool of how much power you have in making massive decisions. This is the thing, especially like when you get like, say UK is one of the leaders in terms of financials and whatever first world problems sort of thing. Sure. And you've got like 17 countries who are like fairly impoverished. Well, they're all feeling along the same lines as each other. Yeah. So they're going to all agree. Yep. So when UK is like, no, 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 we want our economy to be boosted by this. We're like, hang on, we can't afford apples. So, yep. Nope. And they all disagree, and the UK gets shafted every time. Yeah. So I get why it sucks for them. Yeah. They and can't a, literally be like a charity. One of the big, and I didn't really talk about it because as I was doing the research, it kind of debunked itself. Right. But one of the uh, biggest things that the UK tried to talk about when they were saying we don't want to be a part of the European Union anymore mm. um, was the negotiations on whether or not Turkey would be allowed into the European Union. What's wrong with Turkey? Well, Gobble gobble, um, <laughs> it makes you sleepy in the it, afternoon. It, it, yeah, for lunch. delicious would have been a gravy and dressing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, and I wish I had actually wrote it down because I can't really remember it. But apparently, it's close ties with like the Gaza and right. there's a lot of terrorist groups. Right, and there's already free flowing of members. So if, if members from that some of the terrorist groups and ISIS and stuff right. were able to enter Turkey, yes. Illegally, yeah. Then they were able to free flow through, through the European else. Union right. legally. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that there was a lot of fear around that. Right. Uh, and it kind of played into the immigration card. Yeah. But the other, the reason why I got debunked is because Turkey has been trying to enter the European Union since 1972. Right. Right. And out of so in in order to be accepted into the European Union. You have to go in negotiations. I think it's thirty-four or thirty, like a, a large number of like declarations and things that you have to discuss and negotiate, like right. fishing, agriculture, right, blah, right, blah, right. blah 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 blah. Yeah. A, a vast you have to amount make sure of you're in line with our views before. Yes, we'll and you, you have yeah. to make sure that it all makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Um, and since their initial application, yeah. they have negotiated one. 
So there is zero chance of Turkey entering the European Union uh, right. anytime soon. Right. It is a null point. Right. Yes, they are on the docket to be reviewed for the European Union, like yes. on paper. They're not entering it anytime soon. Right. So it was kind of one of those things where it was there's there's a lot of moving parts. Isn't it weird how like a country can be viewed in a way? What do you mean? Well, like, we're talking about Turkey now, and we're just like, you know, there's probably terrorists, or there's probably this, or whatever. It's like, and we're viewing the country of Turkey as blank. And, like, people view the country of Canada, they think, like, oh, everybody's friendly, everybody's this, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, and and yet, you know, you can also, on a micro level, walk downtown and meet five people, and three of them are assholes, and one is nice, and yeah, one yeah, is yeah, your yeah, sister, yeah. or whatever. Exactly, yeah. It's like, you know... It's it's the, but you, they also like on a once you hit the global level it's it's sort of like when you're like the if you zoom out on the earth and it becomes yeah you know what I mean? it's, it's sort of like that if you zoom <laughs> yeah. out a country yeah. you label the country as a thing yes. it's like but within the country like Alberta was flying a Nazi flag at one point today if people yeah. think about Canada they don't think communism no right no but that stuff exists in every country but the more you zoom out the less it matters. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's just fascinating to me. I don't have anything else to say other than that, but I just find that, like, it's insane. Yeah, well, I mean, they they look objectively at, like, political viewpoints. They look at uh, the political structure, like, whether or not it's a dictatorship, if there's democracy, Uh, how they sit on human rights and freedoms and things like that. Like, a lot of these other countries are known dictatorships, monarchies. They're, you know what I mean? There's, There's... slaughtering of civilians there's there's a lot of is russia part of the eu uh, i believe so oh uh, let's find out i'm not 100 sure you said russia earlier and i was like i wasn't sure part of the eu um nope it's not it's a free agent mm. yeah interesting i figured that it was I just mentioned Russia as a vast landmass. Yes. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but yeah. let's clue up because I really have to pee. Go on, Dundee Piss. No, I'll wait. For what? For us to end the episode. Bye. I suppose we should end the episode, Evan Smith. So as you heard um, during our little break, uh, we are now opening it up now for uh, local businesses, uh, local artists, local uh, anything really yeah. to kind of... Um, Shout their product, whatever they're trying to do. We're really trying, as uh, our mandate, as Blaine's mandate, I'm really butchering this. Um, I mean, I'm not going to deny it. No. (laughs) No, no, I think it's right. I think you're saying what you're saying is correct. Yeah, we are trying to support local businesses. We want to lift you up. Absolutely. We want to support and be there for you. I'll be there for you when the rain starts to fall. When, like, I've been there before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you well, have something... be there that... for us, too? Dun, 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 Maybe? Dun, 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 dun. That's not a requirement. We'll still boost you up. Yes. Um, but, yes, if you have something that you would like to promote, let us know. We, we, we'd be happy to do so. Email us at info.splanin at gmail.com. Absolutely. And if you would like to just share things with people that if you like this podcast share it on facebook share it on instagram when we make a post share it make your own post shout it from the hills or the trenches it doesn't matter the highest or the lowest points of the earth shout it from there yeah um if you have a topic that you would like to uh that you would like us to explain to you email us at info.splaining at gmail.com we hope you learned something this week 
And if you didn't, there's always next week. Do you know what? The, um, I, I mentioned this when we talked about, um, I want to say dark holes or, or something around space. Black holes? What's a dark hole? <laughs> dark. I was thinking about dark matter. Dark and 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 black holes, and I was like, "You're still thinking about those coyotes." (laughs) (laughs) Way hole, way hole. (laughs) I said, "Boom, boom, boom."